This is Miss Sony Lanza, and you are listening to the Movement Bottega. Welcome back to season two of Movement Bottega, the podcast. I am so excited for today's guest, Jennifer Pilati. Jennifer Pilati has been teaching movement to people of all ages and abilities for over 17 years. She's passionate about helping people feel comfortable, strong, mobile, and capable in their bodies using concepts rooted in proprioception, mindset, the science of learning, and motor control. She has a special interest in the effect of movement on mental health, specifically anxiety, chronic pain, and trauma. She implements techniques from a variety of disciplines, including yoga, strength and conditioning, Feldenkrais, dance, gymnastics, and natural movement. She teaches workshops, online courses, and regularly writes about the concepts that compromise the foundations of awareness, mobility, and strength. Jen owns a personal training studio where she works with people aged 12 to 95, designing individualized in- interventions that inspire curiosity and enhance well-being. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the Movement Bottega podcast. It is so such an honor to have you here. Um, one of our mutual dear friends, Nikki Nablevi, actually told me all about you. And um, as soon as I went onto your Instagram page, I was just, I just love everything you do and how creative you are and how much you explore the and push the boundaries with movement. Do you want to share to listeners who are not familiar with you and your work a little more about you? Sure. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm very excited to be here. I, gosh, I've studied so many different things. I've been doing this for 18 years, full time. I have um, a couple of different degrees. I have a bachelor's in exercise physiology and a master's in human movement. And like I said, I've just kind of gone into the deep end with lots of different ideas. I've studied yoga. I've studied Feldenkrais. I've studied parkour. I've studied MoveNet. I've studied GMB. I've studied weightlifting. Like, and I use all of these things. I've studied mobility. I use all of these things to help the person that's in front of me. And everybody is so different. So that is what I really try to, to do with my work is look at the person that's in front of me and think, well, gosh, what would make this person feel more at home in their body today in this moment? And because I have so many different tools, I just kind of pull from wherever. It's very non-dogmatic and non-traditional <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> no, it's, it's really brilliant. And it's, and for people who are listening right now or watching right now, um, it's, I love also how much information you give on your Instagram because it's a very like, um, easily to understand and comprehend content, which is really refreshing for people who are also trying to learn a little bit more about the science behind movement. Um, do you mind if I ask you, like, where did this all start? Like, where did your interest in movement begin? And what was the catalyst to you exploring into this new venture? I, so I've always been interested in movement, I think. And I was not I did not participate in athletics as a child. My childhood did not lend itself to allowing me to do that. I I worked. I've been working since I was 12. But I've always understood that movement made me feel better. So I think for me, actually, movement was a way to connect with my body, to make me feel more grounded, to make me feel calmer. And when I was started my undergraduate, I actually thought I was going to be pre-med, but it became evident very quickly that that was not going to be the case. And I was like, gosh, what am I going to do with my life? (laughs) I had this plan. This isn't going to 
go the way I thought it was going to. So I, after reading the course catalog several times, I decided to go into exercise physiology. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. I knew I didn't want to be a physical therapist. I was hired right out of college by a country club. So I started working with people who were in their 50s and a little bit older. And they all had stuff, right? Like everyone has stuff. And when you're in college and you're learning about these things, all of the research is on people who are between the ages of 18 to 22 and are athletic. So I wasn't quite sure what to do with these people that had stuff. So I started studying and I had stuff. Like I had actually chronic pain throughout my 20s. And the information at the time, this was the early aughts. So like 2002 to 2010, the information was horrible. Like it was so bad. You would just, <laughs> and it was all very biomechanically based. Nobody was talking about how, there's different ways to approach this. You know, there's the mind-body connection. And this is why I started yoga in 2004. I thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the missing piece. And unfortunately, it was not the missing piece for me. It did give me some tools, which was great. But I found that I wanted to learn more. And a lot of what was being said, it didn't really resonate. So I continued to explore and continued to go down these different rabbit holes and I think the beauty of not being part of a system is I've always been able to go wherever my curiosity takes me. I don't feel like I'm bound by any set of rules at all. Yeah. And that's, for me, that's worked out well because it means, oh, I can learn how Feldenkrais works. I can use the somatic aspect, but then I can, I can take it and I can teach like a kettlebell deadlift with it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I don't feel constrained by anyone's system. And that is how this all kind of came to be. And like I said, every time I got interested in something and I would go pretty deep, like I would study something for a very long time. We're talking years before I would move on to something else. I would always read all of the research about it and try to figure out why it worked. And, and I found underlying principles and the underlying principles. Once I started to understand those, I was like, why isn't this just taught? Why don't we just teach these underlying principles to movement professionals so that they can better understand what they're doing and then let them use whatever tools they enjoy to get the outcome that they want. Do you mind going deeper into the underlying principles there There's, for those who are listening? Yeah. So if you start looking at things, there are some basic ideas that show up over and over again. The idea of proprioception and kinesthetic awareness. And proprioception is your unconscious awareness of where you are in space. Kinesthetic awareness is your conscious awareness of where you are in space. It informs your proprioception. But when you start looking at anything that affects the nervous system, proprioception is a huge one because whenever the brain has more sensory input, it changes the output. It really is that simple. And there are so many ways you can affect a person's proprioception. And that's what all of these little magical systems do. They're messing with people's proprioception. Granted, they get into different chains of muscles and different ways of looking at gait. A lot of them look at gait. So understanding the basics of gait mechanics can actually be very valuable, especially if you're working with general population and people who have struggled with any sort of asymmetry or they've had trauma on one side of their body and they're having difficulty mm -hmm. feeling that part of their body the gate mechanics piece can be really, really helpful. And that shows up in a lot of different systems. So gate mechanics is definitely one of them. Proprioception, like I said, um, neuroception, the idea is, uh, does the person feel safe? 
Right. Because if you give someone a progression that's too advanced for them, they're not going to feel safe. Right. And that's going to limit their ability to be able to perform, which is what they're doing when they're in front of someone, but also to feel like empowered, to feel like they own the movement. And that's going to limit their, it's also, it's going to change their relationship to how they view that experience. Right. And if our goal is to get people moving more, which I think a lot of us, that is our goal, then that's not a good thing, right? So neuroception is one of them. And then interoception, this idea of what's, can you, can you sense your internal landscape? And interoception, like proprioception, is unconscious. It's always happening. But if you have, if you start to gain some interoceptive awareness, then it can make things like, oh, something feels a little tweaked. It can make it a whole lot less scary. Right. You know, and plus, you, if you give the person, again, proprioceptive tools, they all play together, the person can say, oh, I can just shift the way I'm standing and feel a lot better. I don't, I can change my story. And for me, that's, again, a really powerful thing to give to people. But those are the basic underlying principles, I think, that I see show up over and over again. And then motor control and coordination as well. But those are all kind of just part of this, this package. Yeah, and that's that's like the the what I really was attracted to your work that when um when Nikki referred me to like dig into your stuff is that you are not like you see so many people just get stuck and pigeonholed in a box. Like they find one topic that they love and they just stay in that box and they ignore all the other stuff for the most part. Um, there. And I love that you just kind of like grab all this stuff in there and put it in with your work. Um and so going into more of, of your stuff, you just released a book not too long ago. So you want to talk more about your book? Well, the book, the whole idea behind the book was to explain these basic principles to people in a way that I hoped was relatable and easy to understand so that it could be implemented very easily. Because again, I don't think there are any, I don't think any of the systems out there are bad. I don't think there are any bad modalities. But I do think that if you understand what you're doing, then you're, whatever you're using can be more effective. Yeah. And, and it, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, Sorry, oh no worries. No worries. <laughs> so often we just learn the exercises, but we don't learn the why. Like, why am I teaching this this way? You know? Right. I was listening to a podcast um, with you and I think it was like mindful strength. Is, is that mind body strength or something like that? Catherine Bernie Young. Yes, yes, it was a while ago. And um, you were talking about how you've been writing for a while and you were kind of, um, you were in your human um, movement master's program and you just kept diving in for all this information while writing into this book. So when you were doing your research um, into this book, like what were some of the studies at the time going into this that kind of ignited your curiosity to go down in this direction? Or did you already innately know with your own personal movement practice that there was these missing links that you wanted to um, put out there in the world with your book? I would have to say it was probably the latter. Um, although when I was going through, so I think it was, the first year of my graduate program, which was about 2011, I happened across a study about neuromuscular training and an as an intervention for female basketball players and in preventing ACL injuries. Okay. And at, when I read 
that because that was, it just, first it resonated. I was like, oh, we can, we can ask someone to change how they're moving. And because they learn, because of the science of learning, they're able to learn how to do this differently. And that changes their overall outcomes. Right. And then again, I wanted to know more and that kind of what caught me into the proprioception and all of that. But, um, I don't think there was, that was the, that's the one study that clearly stands out to me. There was also a study I read, oh gosh, probably eight years ago. And I, I don't even know that I can find it anymore, but it looked at professional, I believe they were cellists, professional cellists versus novice cellists. And they looked at how they performed the action of playing with the bow. And they found that the expert cellists, while there was variability in how they struck the bow, it was very small. So mm -hmm. their movements were a little, they were very precise and more repeatable than the novice cellists who made these really big movements. They weren't sure how to navigate the bow. And that was interesting to me as well, because the science of learning is something I'm fascinated in. And even if, so if you take an expert, the expert is always going to have variability in how they do something. We don't do things exactly the same way every time. It's just not how our nervous system works. But the deviations become very small, the better you get at something. And so again, that was interesting to me. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of fascinating. How can that play into movement and how is that helpful? And how can I take that and actually use it? Yeah, that's, I love that you brought up um, the music part of it. Cause like my, my fiance is actually um, a professional jazz musician. Oh, cool. And so he plays guitar and we actually had this conversation. Um, so we're also cigar smokers, but All right. <laughs> true to the Pilates <laughs> name. But um, we, uh, we were talking about that, about um, uh, uh, just about the whole part of the technique in training your brain with that technique technique. So you can get that consistency. Yes rather than just trying to like um, replicate it without that skill set. Cause it is not just, um, you, you are training your brain for those biomechanics at the same time, yes. you know? So, and, and I, it's, I, I love that you say that because um, I think it is so important that we are um, when we're learning a new technique that, you know, we find that um, the details and then explore outside of the details after that. It's like the, the, like, here's a piece, here's a piece, put it together. And then there's a big picture kind of thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, and do you play music too? Or I played piano for a long time. Okay. Yeah, I don't anymore. Okay. But yeah. 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 I was like, okay, there's gotta be something in there, <laughs> man. So when, um, in your book was released, like was, this was just this year or was this, uh, okay. Yeah. So um, when it finally, and I know you were preparing for this book for a couple of years. So when did you feel like, like, what was that moment where you felt like, okay, I feel like this is it and to be put out ready in the world. And I feel like this is like the first little chapter there. Like what was that moment where you felt like you had it together? Well, the book was kind of a funny thing. I've been writing about these topics. I've written tens and tens and tens of that, probably hundreds of thousands of words about the topics that are in the book prior to actually writing the book, because right. I've been writing and I, for a long time, I was really prolific. I was, you know, I'd post articles on breaking muscle and I'd post articles on my website and I'd post articles on think movement. So I was writing just a ton. So right. I'd done all of this research. I had all of this in my brain and 
within a short period of time, I think it was like the span of a month, three people told me, Jen, you need to just write a book. So I thought about it and I was like, oh, what would I write about? And I'm like, well, I guess I've already written it. So I sat down one day in September, two years ago, and six weeks later, there was a book. <laughs> it only took you six weeks? Well, I already knew all the, you know, okay. and that was just a rough draft, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Girl. But that was that was the rough draft. I mean, and then obviously I had to go back and do the editing and work on the citations and all of that. But um, yeah, so the book writing actually wasn't stressful just because I'd already done, I'd done so much prep work. Yeah. And I, and I've, and I browsed your website a, a bit too. Like I love like between your Instagram, your website, you just have like so much like wealth of knowledge and information on all of your platforms that I've found and I'm, I haven't even even tapped into all of it yet, but I'm just digging into it. <laughs> so I, I can, I can see um, how you've already had all some of that stuff together. Um, and can, I want to kind of pivot a little bit. Cause like you've been on going back to your Instagrams, um, you have like, you, you share so many things on there and you share, you did talk about the proprioception and interest, um, on there as well. And then you also have really lately been posting about emotional fitness and I just started reading on that. So I'm not fully, um, full read up on that, but I'd love to hear you talk more about that if you don't mind. Not at all. One of the things I am fascinated by is how movement affects our psychological well-being because I think it is so, so valuable. And I have worked with so many individuals with anxiety or trauma. Like I've worked with, I just, I've worked with a lot of that group. So it's something that is near and dear to my heart. I've also lectured on this topic to psychologists. I lecture on mindfulness to Navy captains and my second, my second book, which is done. I'm still editing it is on this topic. Oh, so cool. Yeah. So this is why I've kind of been posting about it a little bit more. And I was encouraged by my business coach to actually pick a direction. She said, you, she said, you know, so much stuff that you kind of throw out whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Just pick a, like hone it in a little bit, Jen. I said, okay. <laughs> so that's why I've been posting more about emotional fitness, but yes, it's like I said, it's just, it's fascinating. We can change our, and we all know this, right? We know that we feel a little tired or we feel a little crummy or we feel a little off and with the right movement intervention, suddenly within about five minutes, our mood, our emotional state changes, right? Right. And I mean, right now, especially during COVID, people are depressed, people are anxious, people aren't sure what's gonna happen next. We need something to anchor us. And if we can give people something to anchor them, even if it's not long, long lasting, if it makes them feel better for two hours, like that's gonna make their whole lives that, that two hours is going to feel so much better in general with their spouses and their children and their pets. So I think I, it's like I said, it's something that I, I strongly believe in and I'm obviously very passionate. <laughs> Girl, this is like my, my little, my little bubble where, um, I, I, I do the, the same kind of, um, exploration of how certain movement affects, uh, people's emotions or even just, um, what it can dig up from your past life experiences and how we still hold on to that within your tissues and your fascia and all those things like we're not even aware of, you know? Yeah. So it's, um, when you, you were uh, posting about that, I got really excited about I'm like, 
this is what I think this is. <laughs> this is so fun. This is so exciting to like to see it being talked about more. But um, so when what um got you into in the in the first place um with one that naming it emotional fitness and then did you come up with that name, and then what did you starting off with um because I know in one of your last podcast that I would listen to of of you you were talking about how you really got into um, the neurological side of the movement aspects. Um, did you have a, a certain like aha moment or a point that you experienced that you wanted to explore that topic more? I asked a lot of questions in one question. No, that was okay. Like, Stop <laughs> doing that. <laughs> it's all good. So, <laughs> all good. I, so I think what got me into it was... It was probably multifaceted. I noticed with me that, Mm -hmm. especially when I started working on like foot stuff, like there were certain things I started working on that really changed, made me more mellow. And I'm a very high energy person. So it's good for me to have a little more balance and not be too up here, right? So I noticed that with me, but then also it's really interesting how the clients we attract are the ones sometimes we're able to help the most. Like you start to notice like the type of person, right. That's kind of attracted to your work. And a lot of the people, a lot of the people that were attracted to my work were, were anxious. And I thought that was really interesting as well. So I thought, well, there's obviously something to this. What is it? And that again, just sent me down rabbit holes to learn more about I also just, again, by the way things worked, I got really good at working with people who had had some sort of physical trauma because they often have chronic pain. And I was able to, I started to get really good results with people who had had long time chronic pain. And it was all, you know, it was all related to the free state and trauma, you know, all this stuff. But so that too got me interested in learning more. And I think those are kind of the ways that that came to be. The name was not my idea. Uh, okay. it, was, it, was my, it was, so it was the business coach I'm working with and she had suggested emotional movement. And I was like, I don't know about emotional movement. So then I thought about it. I was like, well, emotional fitness, I kind of like. So that was how I, that's how that kind of came to be. Oh man. So can we talk about more about, you said where you felt more grounded working on your feet. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do I, so, um, do you mind, did you do more re, uh, research on that of, of like, as to why that is and how it affects your, your nervous system and just your, even maybe the psychology of how you tick, like why, what is some of the why if that was working out for you? And is that kind of unique to, to different people and different, um, different personality types as well. Cause it seems like different, um, personality types are going to be gravitated to different things as well. For sure. And the foot thing was really interesting. So, and I, I'm good I, for some reason, like years always stick in my mind. That's why I keep referencing them. But in 2009, I read born to run by Christopher McDougall McDougal, mm. and it changed my life. And that was interesting to me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, a lot of my pain issues are suddenly going away. Like by using, by being barefoot more and working on my feet. Like I, I, like I just felt better. So I probably got really into that research, like 
four or five years ago. Like, so I got really into the feet and how they worked and, you know, all of this, but I wasn't as focused on why it was affecting up here. But it boils down to proprioception, right? So your balance is determined by your visual system, your vestibular system, and your proprioception. If one of those three things is missing, that leads to anxiety. Or conversely, your anxiety leads to you not being able to use those things as much. I don't know which. But the research on it is pretty clear. If you look at, and for some reason, they haven't worked with people in the middle of their lives, but with children and with older adults, the elderly. If they're... If balance is an issue, so if someone does not feel balanced, then the incidences of anxiety or anxiety-related symptoms goes up. They've seen this in animal models as well. So if you breed mice that are missing the gene that, that allows for, I guess, good afferent feedback regarding proprioception, they're more anxious unless you do a balance intervention with them and you put them in enriched environments in cages where there's lots of things to play on and balance on, then their anxiety levels go way down. That is so fascinating. So, 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 so basically it's, it's, it's playing off of the, the amount of, um, of comfort where the body feels stable. Yes. And any given moment of where, where, how life is affecting them in that moment. Yes. And it's all about, so our brain loves, again, we love to feel safe. And one of the best ways to feel safe is to have a lot of accurate sensory feedback. If you don't have good sensory feedback coming from your, um, your afferent nervous system, your feet or your hands or whatever is in contact with the floor, you're not going to feel like you're in control. Right. You know? That is so fascinating. It's a That's very fun. cool. It's a very cool. <laughs> so that makes sense. Okay. Cause I see, I see you, um, post a lot of stuff about, um, balancing on like you were doing, you were standing on like a rail or something and practicing on that. So that, were you playing around with that, that kind of idea at the time when you were, um, doing that kind of work? Yes. So the other, because I've done a lot of parkour and a lot of move not, and I've witnessed not just with me, but with others, you start talking to practitioners to do that. And they'll tell you that it changed them in some way. And again, this was interesting to me. I'm like, well, why? What, what is it that's doing that? And it's multifaceted. It's the enriched environments. The enriched environments are huge. If you can go outside and look at your world and suddenly you can see all of the things you can do as opposed to just moving through the world mindlessly, right? It becomes more right. interesting. And that's really good for our brains. But on top of it, this idea of dynamic mobility and so often mobility, like and I'm not um, ripping on yoga at all, but you know, a lot of the, a lot <laughs> of the yoga mobility work, it's like, Oh, stand on one leg. Well, that's not dynamic, right? That's not mm-hmm. using your body in a contextual way. And it's not feeding your nervous system in a way that's going to give you lots of information. Right. So that's why, like, I think that's why I think a lot of that, like rail balancing and people that start to do it, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I've seen like knee injuries clear up and, you know, hip stuff clear up when you start using your feet in these different ways. That's also working your body globally. Yeah. Right. Like when you're doing balancing like that, like your body's naturally going to have to spawn in a global way Um, rather than like with, with yoga, it's, um, it's more like you were saying, it's, it's a little more stagnant, but which has its purpose, but it's. Like we all have our little, our little melting pot of fun things there. Exactly. Okay. 
So what is like, um, you're when introducing this to like for the client aspect or for, uh, avid practitioners who want to kind of play on this themselves or t- try to like train their, pro- like, you know, their proprioception muscle and all that stuff. What is some of your favorite things to play with, to improve that? In them. There's a couple of things. The first is the idea of can I interact with the floor in a way that feels safe and like I'm controlling the fall rather than letting the fall control me. Because so many people, and you see this starting much younger than anybody wants to believe, they have a hard time getting up and down from the ground. Right. And that makes the ground really scary. Right? Yeah. That's not <laughs> So that's number one. How many ways can I help this person get up and down from the floor in a way that feels really safe? And with older, some of my older adults, I have a very fit 80 year old that I work with, but she has two replaced knees. They're titanium, but it's kneeling on them. It's just not, it doesn't feel good for her, but we can do lots of things. And she's fortunately, she's really flexible. So we do lots of things like in almost like a down dog position where she's kind of crawling herself forward, you know, teaching her how to move in that way so that Mm -hmm. she's really comfortable on the floor in case she ends up down there and she has to get up. Um, So that's number one, because if you can't control your fall, as soon as you start to play with any sort of idea of dynamic balance, it's going to be really scary and you're going to pull away from your feet and you see people do this. Their ribs move up, their breathing gets shallow or they hold their breath and they kind of lift their heads. Right. So there's this yeah. like, like you said, a global response. It's that whole fight or flight thing. So control the fall and then start working just on the floor. Like you can do things like have a bunch of objects around you and stand on one leg and ask the person to pick up all the different objects while staying the entire time on one leg, or they can do it in a squat position if that's better for them. And then you can play with the idea of like just walking heel to toe. I usually do like a wall next to the person if they're uncomfortable with that, you know, at first until they get comfortable with that. And then you gradually elevate them. So they're on a two by four. And then from there, there's all kinds of things you can do. Two by fours are one of the best, most inexpensive pieces of equipment a person can have. I love Lowe's. Yes. Get all my favorite toys over there. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Who needs expensive stuff when you can just go to the hardware store? I have clients that look at me all the time like, what are you making now? It's like, it's going to be so much fun. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, do I need to buy this from? It's like, no, just, like, just go to Lowe's and get like a stick or like, do you have like, I don't know, something in the house to replicate it? Ex- you know? Yeah, Exactly. So like I said, a two by four is great. Um, a box, I use plyo boxes a lot because you can learn to kind of fall to navigate over those and all of those are going to do all kinds of great things for your proprioceptive system. So those are probably the, the main ways I work on it. Um, yeah. And there's lots. I, the cool thing is, again, once you understand the concepts, you're only limited by your creativity. So there's always something new that you can, like, I I see new things all the time. I'm like, oh, I can play with it this way. Let's see what happens when we do this. It's so fun. And I think that's like why I like, I love exploring, um, because my background was just mainly first started off with Pilates when it came to a professional manner, but I love exploring outside of the walls of Pilates and grabbing things and putting it in. Cause you just kind of, you, you learn like how many 
um, how many of these things are related, but they're just the perspectives are different. And then just playing around with the perspectives and then just trying to match it for per the person in front of you, like you're mentioning before teaching the person in front of you is so it's like such a relief because then you don't feel like you have to stick to a book, but it's also like that, um, that, that freeing moment where you feel like there's just boundaries are endless, you know? And, and I, and I love that about your work because it's just that how that playful and exploration of that, um, there's like this, I, I have this one client and who's a little bit, has some sensitivities. And so what we did first to kind of get her body to respond to, um, whatever life throws at her is I had her stand planted because that's where she's comfortable first. And she was holding on to the, like this like U-shaped weight and I tied a TheraBand and had her close her eyes. And I didn't tell her what I was going to do. And I was running around her and pulling the band in different directions and having her try to stabilize and then turning that on first, then going into these more open chain movements because she was already, everything was already like prepared. Like, okay, there's some stuff going on here. So, but how it's, so when, um, when you have people playing around with this kind of stuff and say, if they're in that state where they're really in, um, freeze with the fight or flight, where they just are not ready to emotionally handle it. Um, what are like, even like other ways that they can play around with it where they don't, or where they're not ready to explore trying to fall based on whatever may have happened in their past? Like how do they get their brain to just like calm down and be ready to explore this more open chain um, movement? So there's a lot of great ways. You can use things like just touching a box with one hand and standing back up. Because a huge part of the learning to fall is you have to get used to getting closer to the floor, right? And again, you see a lot of people who are just really scared to even get down there. Um, taking your hand, one way that feels very safe for people is you have them take their hands on their thighs and you just have them slide their hands down towards their shins. Wherever they go, they go. There's no, you know, and then they stand back up. And this actually works really well for people who are not grounded in their feet as well because they'll start to have to load their feet in a slightly different way. Yeah. than they're used to. So that's a great way to do it. I do things like a lot of footwork, having people lift the heel, seeing if they can lift the inside and the outside of the heel at exactly the same time and feel what that does to the balls of their feet, walking backwards again with like, you know, with appropriate walls, but cueing with the walk backwards. I just want you to feel the foot as it rolls down to the floor. Mm-hmm. And I want you to notice the differences between the sides. Just observe. So that they can start to sense that, okay, my feet can support me. You know, they, they have ways in which they can, they can do this. So that's, a, that's been a, that's really helpful. Getting somebody just stronger makes a big difference too. I, there's a lot to be said More for confidence. that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just yeah. basic squats with like a kettlebell or a dumbbell um, or box squat with a kettlebell or a dumbbell. I mean that people, it's fun. they, they start to feel better. It doesn't take long. And they're like, Oh gosh, I can do this. Like I'm, I'm getting stronger. And because as soon as you add a load, your feet have to work a little bit more, right. To get you up. So again, it just helps with grounding, yeah. which is really helpful. Um, so those are probably the main ways. I, I noticed that too, with um, just how people feel really strong and powerful, just holding like a weight yes. or like um, I'm exploring the world of clubs right now. <laughs> My girlfriend, Alyssa teaches them and it's just, 
it, just that tangibility of holding something that's either steel or wood, you're just like, yes, I can conquer anything. It's, it's a different kind of feeling of how, what that does for you emotionally. And this, before going into a movement practice, it's, oh, I love it. But um, going into a few more things here, um, what was, did you have a moment with you personally where you were exploring and being playful with, with this, where um, you kind of discovered something new within your kind of um, um, your practice? And what I mean by that is um, new within yourself. Like, did you notice like something that you might have not been aware of um, what, during your emotional fitness practices or with your anxiety where you're like, oh my gosh, this is what's um, tr- uh, for lack of a better word, triggering this or instigating this emotion out of me or whatever it may be. I think, well, for me, my practice is a moment to, again, observe, like I do a lot of observation in my practice. Mm-hmm. And the benefit of that is even though maybe I haven't exactly had you know, during my practice, been able to say, oh, this is totally triggering. I mean, I can certainly feel I'm like, oh, my heart rate's going up. Clearly this progression is a little more stressful for me. That's interesting. Or, oh, my, um, I'm holding my breath. I don't need to, this is not like a high threshold movement. That's interesting. So I can certainly tell when my movement practice is, I'm challenging myself in a different way. That's more not just strength based, right. Or, or mobility based. It's more um, anxiety based. But the benefit of that to me is that I can notice it then in my everyday life. So if I'm having a, if I have to have a difficult conversation with someone, I can feel I'm like, oh, I'm tensing my jar. Oh, my breath just got short. Like I notice these things. Or if I'm about to lecture in front of a lot of people, I've learned, you know, that a little bit of that anxiety is good because it helps me give a good performance for lack of a better word. But if I have too much, it doesn't go well at all. So I've learned how to notice that. I'm like, all right, this is actually a good place for me to be. If I go any higher, I need to bring it down a little bit. So that's where my movement practice, I think, has been most helpful. Is there a particular um, movement practice that you like to do to kind of bring down your anxiety or a certain pattern of movement, or do you switch it up each time? I find rolling patterns are really downregulating for me. Mm -hmm. And while I love breathing and I do have a breathing practice, if I'm about to do something that is stressful, I have a very hard time tapping into that. And I feel like that's okay. Mm-hmm. I can tap into the breathing practice afterwards and I find that really useful. But if I'm about to go again, like lecture in front of a bunch of people, I will do rolling patterns or ground-based get-ups or something like that. And I find that that brings me into my body. It lets me feel the floor and it doesn't take me down so much that I can't go do what I need to do. Right. And for those who are um, practitioners that are listening, can you explain what rolling patterns are? Rolling patterns are, I mean, you can think just like a somersault is a rolling pattern. Um, And usually I practice more like a lot of the parkour movnati stuff. So it's, you roll over one shoulder um, so that you can easily get up. It's what you would do if you were about to fall. You would roll over, usually roll over one shoulder, but there's also side rolls. You can roll onto your side. You can do lots of very cool, like 90, 90 seated positions from different rolling situations. So you can play with it a lot of different ways. And I'm like noticing like how we're getting closer to time. (laughs) I don't know where it went. It feels like we've just been talking for like 10 minutes, but um, 
Is there any, before like we wrap things up, I would really love to um, uh, talk to you about um, what to expect next from you. And is there something that, um, what's a new, is there something that you're going to be diving into more outside of the emotional fitness or what's going on right now that's catching your eye? Because I, I, I know listening to some of your past podcasts, how you're an avid learner and you'll, you said you'll like dive into things and study them forever. So um, is there anything new that you're um, digging into that people can expect from you? The emotional fitness is going to be a thing for a little while, which I'm excited about. It's good for me to, like I said, stick with the topic, but I am working. <laughs> Sorry. I'm the same as you. I'm like, let's go over there. Oh, I go deep when I go over there, but then it's like, yeah. you know, then I move on to the next thing. Um, but I am also, I've been getting really into like the idea of levers and how, when you look at the body as a lever system, how that helps control yes. center of mass and what that does. So I've definitely been playing with that as well. Oh, fun. Yeah. And so for people who are listening, uh, where can they find you if they want to learn more and, um, where, if they want to work with you, how can they go about doing that? The best place to find me is on my website, which is just my name, jenpilati.com. Yeah, I guess that's the best place. And yeah, and that's where you would go to learn more about working with me and things as well. 